Here we go. Welcome everyone to another Beelins and Tennis podcast. Tonight's podcast is sponsored by the Ragged Man, the industry leader in racket stringing, racket repair, and customization. Go to www.theragaman.net for more info. Okay, tonight we're going to be doing something a little different. As part of my education as a tennis coach, I often try to listen to as many experienced tennis coaches as I can to hear their expertise. But I also make an effort to hear coaches outside of my respective sport to hear their perspectives and their experiences in coaching their own teams. And to continue with that theme, we have the absolute privilege to have with us on tonight the 2007 NCAA Football National Coach of the Year, the 2007 Big 12 Coach of the Year voted by the Big 12 coaches, along with several additional coaching accolades. Please welcome to the podcast, former University of Kansas football head coach, Mark Mangino. Coach, thank you for spending some time tonight recording this with me. Yeah, I hear you, but you do know, I mean, we talked a little, you do know your tennis, and, and I think we both agree you uh, you got a little Jimmy Connors inside of you. <laughs> I'm a way nicer guy than Jimmy Connors. <laughs> so just for our listeners to know, tonight's topic on the podcast is called Rebuilding a Program, and while obviously the, the details will be football-oriented based on Coach Mangino's experiences in building the football program at KU, the overarching themes and concepts which we discuss will apply to all sports. So, Coach, you ready to uh, you ready to get started? Let's do it. All right. So, just by way of Coach Mangino's background, um, Coach was um, he was an assistant under Jim Tressel at Youngstown State, was an assistant under Bill Snyder at K State, and then an assistant under Bob Stoops at OU, including being the offensive coordinator for the OU national championship team in 2000 when they beat Florida State. Coach, not a bad group to. Uh, to learn from and uh, coach with, huh? No, not, not at all. You know, very privileged to have the opportunity to be around uh, great football coaches, uh, such as the ones that you just named. They're great guys, great coaches, and I learned a little bit from each and every one of them. Oh, I'm sure. And you guys had some ridiculously good, uh, good staffs. You had future head coaches uh, littered throughout those staffs, so such a great environment coming up as an assistant. Um, no question. And then obviously you got hired at KU in December of 2001. You were familiar with them, you know, as much as you can be, just competing with them, um, you know, in the Big Eight and then the Big Twelve. Wanted to kind of go into that. You know, you took over a program that had not had a winning season in the in the prior six years to your arrival. I believe the 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 previous time was 1995. I was actually a student at KU. We we went to the Aloha Bowl. I think we were 10 and two that year. We had guys such as uh, L.T. Levine and June Henley. And we, we, we smacked UCLA pretty good in that game. We were pretty good. Um, obviously, program went down a little bit after that. And, you know, just to hear from you, what were your thoughts when, one, you, you, you interviewed for the job, and then, two, once you got offered the job, what were a few of your, I guess we can say, non-negotiables that, that you wanted to put in place with your staff and with your players to make sure you can start rebuilding the process the way you wanted to start building the program? Well, first of all, when, uh, when the University of Kansas contacted me in Oklahoma, uh, I had originally told them 
that uh, I would be willing to listen to him, but I wasn't really sure that I, I was willing to leave Oklahoma at that time. I had finally got my family settled there. We enjoyed it there, had a lot of friends on the staff, and, uh, you know, I had planned to be there for a while. But uh, they asked me to, uh, if I would meet them in Oklahoma City at the airport, and just have a brief chat with them, which turned out to be about three hours. Um, and you know, they were they were the, the KU people were well-intentioned people. I mean, they wanted to win in football. You know, the athletic director at that time really uh, was committed to winning in football, and he really wanted to do all he could to maintain the greatness of the basketball program, which he told me that. And uh, I thought about it and everything, and you know. Um, I thought it was nice of them to come and see me, but I told them, I called them and I said, I'm not interested, and uh, I appreciate I'm flattered that you would even think of me. But I've got my family settled here in Norman, and I think we're going to stay here a while. Well, uh, you know, they were pretty persistent, and uh, they kept calling me, and I just, uh, I told them that uh, I'm really flattered, and I really like KU. I told them that our family likes KU so much that my daughter's already a freshman there. <laughs> so uh, it wasn't anything against uh, KU. I just wasn't ready to leave Oklahoma. And then, you know, as things go, they kept calling and calling. But I, they were great. They were awesome. Um, but uh, I had the sports information director at OU release a report that I would not be taking the job. And uh, they still didn't. It was in every newspaper in the Midwest, and they still wouldn't take no for an answer. And then they came up with some things that I thought would be helpful. And I thought about it and said, hey, you know, this is a Big 12 program. I, I may never get a chance again to be a head coach in the Big 12. So you know where it went from there. Right. Well, uh, yeah, we're, we're happy. Uh, something changed in your mind, obviously, and we're happy it all worked out, obviously, during your tenure. So... You know, you, you take over a program, right? Obviously, it's been down. Your first year, you guys go 2-10. and 10. Now, in your second year, this is 2003, from an outsider looking in as a fan, right? I thought this season kind of skipped a couple steps when you talk about rebuilding a program. And again, we're talking about rebuilding a program in any sport. Um, you went from 2-10 and 10 to actually having a winning winning season. You get the team to a bowl game. You, get, you play... Uh, NC State in the Tangerine Bowl. A lot of guys may have heard the opposing quarterback. His name was Philip Rivers. Yeah, um, no, I Yeah. <laughs> I guess, you know, what were your thoughts on that scene? Did, did it seem like the, the, the wins and losses were, were turning around a little too quickly? Obviously, you were thrilled with you went from 2-10 and 10 to a winning season, but um, what was your perspective on that team? Like Nick Reed, 
I would have loved to have redshirted those kids, believe me. But we were so a lack of talent, and the spirit of the kids when I got there was so low that we knew, we knew we had a major challenge on our hands. So I made the decision that I was going to recruit about half of that class as junior college players for the next year. Well, you know, there's always a risk in junior college players. There's no question. But my thought was, if we could get maybe a third of those guys to be major contributors to our team, and the other guys be special teams, backup players, that would motivate the underclassmen on the program to work harder because somebody might be coming in to take their job. Right. Now, some of those junior college kids worked out, did great. Some left the program. But we, we accomplished what we set out to do, create competition for positions, because when you have competition for positions, you then have better players because they're competing every day for their livelihood, so to speak. So we were able to go six and six uh, in my second year. So the experiment worked, uh, not without a lot of hard work and heartburn, but the experience, uh, the uh, experiment worked. And the only thing that was unfortunate about that year that we drew North Carolina State the Tangerine Bowl. They were a team that had underachieved, but were loaded with talent. Right. You look at Philip Rivers was on that team. Right. Mario Williams was the number one. Yeah. That year's draft with the Houston Texans. Yes. And they had Jerome Country, the receiver, just play how many? I mean, they were loaded. So we got our we got our butt kicked. But what we were able to accomplish is that we've got extra practices after that year to keep developing players during the bowl game. So uh, our second season there was a success, but we were still deep into a, in a turnaround, and we had miles and miles to go, and I knew it after right. that second season. Yeah, and I mean, going into the third year, um, 2004, again, from a fan looking in, this this season looked to me exactly on how a rebuilding program should look like, and I say that because the team finished 4-7, and seven, yet lost six of their seven games by less than 10 points. You lost the Northwestern by three. I was at that game, by the way. You lost to Texas Tech by one. You lost to Nebraska by six. You lost to Iowa State by six. You lost to Colorado by nine. And you lost to Texas and Lawrence. I was at. I was in Lawrence for that game. You had. I mean, I'm. I'm not. I don't mean to get you upset, right? But that game was unbelievable. And that Texas team was loaded. They went to the Rose Bowl that year. Then they went to the Rose Bowl the the following year and won the national championship. That was Vince Young team. That team had NFL players up and down the lineup. And we were two fourth down plays away from stopping Vince Young. And then we always we, we had that phantom pass interference call on Charles Gordon where everyone is still looking at finding where the heck was that call. But the fact that you guys were competing, and this happens in every sport, and, and I'll, I'll apply it to my sport in tennis. You have guys who start competing at a level, and they do well. Then they go up in age group. And you know what? They get whacked at first. But then they start getting closer, and now they're competing. But they're still not winning. They're still not figuring out you know, ways to win. And this team in 2004, to me, was a perfect setup for the future because they were figuring out that, hey, we need to compete. We're still not winning, but we're on the right track. You know, my... 
Am I uh, accurate a little bit in how I described that team that year? Yes, he did. year is now it's starting to turn. You're seeing how this rebuilding process is starting to work now. Now you're starting to win those games. And what happened in the next year, in 2005, you're, you're learning how to win. You beat Nebraska 40-15 to 15 at home. I was 30 years old at the time. I was in Lawrence for that game. Kevin Kane with a big pick six. We had John Cornish with a long run right up the gut. Um, look, you had beaten them. I was 30 years old at the time. He hadn't beaten them since before I was born, so it was a long, long time. Um, the year culminated with a 7-5 record, ending with a win in the Fort Worth Bowl against Houston, 42-13. By this time, your footprint is fully on the program. I mean, your roster is comprised of the guys you recruited. Obviously, the, the Nebraska game had to feel great. Anything stand out to you during that year? Did you feel like, okay, 2004, we had the growing pains, but now we're starting to get you know, rocking and rolling here? Some other kids tried, you know, busted their butt and had some good 
uh, we had to juggle quarterbacks, and anybody that knows me knows that I like to have one quarterback, and he stay out there unless he's injured. Right. So uh, that was the down part of it, but boy, you can see the kids playing hard, everybody, offense, defense, special teams, and the program is starting to show signs of the culture that I wanted it to have. Right. And then we continue on to 2006. This is your fifth year. Um, This was kind of weird. I think everyone expected the momentum to kind of continue. Obviously, like you said, the quarterback situation wasn't all um, set. You know, KU finished 6-6. They were not invited to a bowl game. Um, Keeping with the rebuilding... I don't know that we were not invited. Oh, okay. Sorry. I don't don't know that that's the truth. I'm not saying it. Not, but, uh, I'll say it was six and six. Right. My apologies. You finished six and six. KU did not participate in a bowl game. Now, keeping with the rebuilding team, something happened near the end of this year, which we're going to touch on in a minute. But did you look at, at this year as kind of a, a step back, or did you still feel that the program was building and, and was you know going in the right direction? So before we hit into uh, you know the best year in Kansas football history, basically something happened near the the end of 2006, and this is so so important for any culture, for any coach, for any player that participates in, in sports. Um, there was a very selfless act by Kerry Meyer, and Kerry switched positions from the quarterback to the wide receiver position late in that year. So a guy by the name of KU fans may have heard of him, Todd Reesing. Um, could take over the reins. And when we talk about with any great team, regardless of sport again, individuals need to be selfless instead of selfish. And once individuals give themselves up for the greater good of the team, that's when the real magic happens. And what happens is everybody gets a slice of the pie. And Kerry giving up that position to wide receiver and the fact that quarterback knows the wide receiver positions, he knows every damn route there is because he's got to know that as the quarterback that set the stage for what, um, you know, a magical 2007 is. Kind of talk about that decision-making process and everything. Well, first of all, Kerry Meyer, I've said this numerous times, both publicly and privately, there has never been a more important player in KU football history than Kerry Meyer. And let me explain that. Kerry and Todd Reeson competed for that quarterback position training camp. However, unfortunately, Kerry had an injury. So the bulk of the reps went to Todd, so naturally, you know, he's the guy you have to go with. So as we went through the season, well, it wasn't even through the season, I think 
said, wow. And I thought I wanted to do that two-quarterback thing where you put one at the slot. I said, no, no, no. I wanted to be 30% quarterback, 70% wide receiver. So it was a tough night. The night before I uh, met with Kerry in the morning, you know, I felt terrible because Kerry was one of the most highly regarded quarterbacks coming out of high school in, in, in the Midwest. And now you're going to ask a guy to play wide receiver. And, you know, I, I tried to put myself in his shoes, and, and I don't know if I would have liked it. <laughs> Anyhow, I met with him, and I told him my plan. He said, hey, coach, if it helps the team, I'll do it. But I knew he was disappointed. Who wouldn't be if you were him? Right. He went out to that practice field the next day, and he caught everything in sight. Uh, he knew every route. He knew who the progressions were in the routes. It was like having a quarterback running around a wide receiver. Right, it's such a smooth transition when you have a quarterback. Yeah. But not all those quarterbacks have such great hands like he did. He caught oh. everything. The, guy, the guy's a phenomenal athlete. I mean, he's phenomenal. If he hadn't blown out both ACLs, he could have been playing for the Falcons at this, you know, this day. Right. He'd still be with the Atlanta Falcons. But my point is, is that, you know, the team took notice. You know, you can hear whispers of kids hey, this guy was like a top 200 quarterback or 100 quarterback in the nation, and now he's going to play wide receiver. And what the message was to the other players, this guy's unselfish. He wants to win. He doesn't care what it takes. If he's playing wide receiver, helps us win, he's all for it. That's the kind of kid he is. That's the way he was raised. And... He ended up being uh, the most respected player in the program, maybe one of the most respected athletes in the entire athletic department. And he developed a reputation of being really liked by professors and the other students on campus. And I mean, he came, because of what he did in the way his career went, he kind of became a folk hero on KU's campus and around the state of camp, uh, Kansas. And I'll never ever forget that sacrifice that he made for his teammates and all he did is become one of the most prolific receivers in the history of the school I think his last year one of those years he had like 107 catches which is uh, unusual but he's a great athlete he's a smart guy he's a great human being and he is the one that taught our players not to be selfish yep that's I'm tell, like I said before that's when the real magic happens and when someone becomes selfless instead of selfish, everyone gets to participate and have a slice of the pie. And it's, uh, you know, we, we all knew, we all knew and appreciated him. He was so, so great. Um, so, 2007, I mean, you obviously you made this, you made this decision with Kerry and Todd. It was such an amazing year. You had road wins at, at Kansas State, at Colorado, at Texas A&M, at Oklahoma State on primetime. I was there in Lawrence in that beautiful day in November. We laid 76 on Nebraska. And by the way, 76, we could have had 80, Coach. We missed an extra point in the field goal. Um, <laughs> hey, well, let me tell you something about that game. You know, I had great respect for Nebraska. You know, I had been in the Yep. It was just one of those things. Yep. And I want to I say this because I really mean this. 
outside of the KU fan base, I got more positive emails during my career at Kansas and, and positive remarks from the Nebraska fan base than any other school with the exclusion of Kansas. Why? They appreciate good football. They know good football in Nebraska. And those fans, I, I mean, I could have been playing, you know, Texas A&M or something, you know, and, and we had, I get all these emails from Nebraska fans saying what a great job they're doing. So uh, we never, it was never our intent that day to score 76 points. We, if we were one by one, we would have been happy. Right, absolutely. But that's the way it played out. But I don't, I always appreciated the Nebraska fan base. They are in the college football like, uh, like it's a religion. Yep, 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 yep. And we know, I mean, it, it was an amazing year. It, it obviously culminated with an Orange Bowl victory against Virginia Tech. For the NFL football fans out there, our, our defensive backfield, we had Akib Tlaib and Chris Harris as the starting cornerbacks, two teammates for a number of years uh, in the pros, Super Bowl champions with the Denver Broncos. You know, I think... It's, it's safe to say that the 2007-2008 sports season at the University of Kansas will probably go down as the best ever. Um, a BCS Orange Bowl champion, along with the NCAA Basketball Championship that spring, it, uh, it doesn't get much better than that. The fans knew it, appreciated it so much. Um, you know, during that year, obviously, you see the wind start to pile it up, piling up. Are you able to... Sit back even a little bit. I know your work ethic is, is crazy good. Are you able to sit back at all and be like, hey, guys, we're you know, sitting with your fellow coaches and be like, this is something special? Or are you just you know, nose to the grindstone, every minute of every day, let's get a little bit better and try to get prepared for that next game? Were you, you know, what, what was that going through that crazy year for you guys? I never permitted our players to look any further than the game that we were playing that week. As winter coming in, I never mentioned them. We could have been 0-5. I never talked about the win. I, no, when we broke down the game with the players and talked about performance and things, oh, yeah. But as far as the record, the biggest challenge I had as a coach at that time was that we were in uncharted waters. KU had never started out, or maybe not many times, that I, you know, I don't know the whole history, but 7-0, 8-0, 9-0, 10-0, those were uncharted waters. Right. So the only thing that I really talked about our kid was is I discussed each opponent, and I just told them, you know, half blinders on them. It doesn't matter what you did last week. It has no bearing on what you do this week. You know, everybody that... You know, a few years ago, we're calling you a bunch of bones. Now, they want to be your buddies. They want to say nice things about you. Remember, you're here for your teammates. The most important things in your life is your faith, your family, and next to your teammates. You don't want to let anybody down in this room. But remember, all the people that told you you weren't any good for years are now your friends. Be careful. Let's worry about, let, let just all the players and coaches take care of this business and tune everything else out. Because it's not important. What's important is what we do together as a team. And you know, that ball club stayed focused. They didn't get distracted. Uh, I was very proud of them. 
me on the job a couple months. He called me up. He said, I don't want your football players in my place ever again. I said, what'd they do? He said, nobody likes them. I said, okay. He said, no problem. Next team meeting, I told the team, any kid who walks in that establishment loses his scholarship. Nobody went in there. That fellow that owned that tavern sent one of his guys over to my office one day in 2007 when we were winning games. He said, hey, Mr. So-and-so would like to have your guys in. He heard they're nice kids. I said, as long as I'm the head football coach here, any football player steps in your place, loses his scholarship. Rightfully so, coach. Rightfully so. Uh, Great message. Great message. So our kids, they found other places to go. You know, but what also happened, some people wanted to cater to them in the community. I said, don't you ever take anything from anybody, not even a cup of wine to get your favorite restaurant. I said, because what will happen, you'll destroy what you and all of your teammates have accomplished. So it, that was the toughest part, right. is trying to keep these kids focused week after week and not let outside things distract them. And they did wonderfully. I'm very proud of them. That is such such great advice, Coach. And I know people who listen to this will, will obviously take that into heart. And you know, the, the one thing I notice, and sometimes, depending on what sport you're in or what program you're in, sometimes people complain that, oh, they don't get the best talent all the time, and I wish I could have, you know, 35-star recruits and 24-star recruits and blah, blah, blah. The one thing that we noticed about you and your teams, you know what? KU didn't always have those five-star recruits, four-star recruits, the best talent, whatever that means, right? And if you don't have that, you absolutely must be the most disciplined and most fundamentally sound. And, and I uh, follow this guy. He's a high-performance coach. His name is Alistair, Alistair McCaw. He's a great, great coach. And he always says, you become your worst habits under pressure. So your worst habits better be good. And noticing those teams... God, they were they never got hardly ever got penalized. They were so so disciplined. They never made stupid mistakes. And when you don't have these quote unquote five star recruits, that's what you need. And credit to you and your staff and those players for buying in because it was a beautiful thing to watch those teams play. Well, they were very disciplined. They, they were, you know, during my time in Kansas, I had. I mean, most of the kids, almost in the overwhelming majority were good kids that wanted to be good players and wanted to win. You know, I always say you can coach your guys any way you like. There's all different styles to do it. But the main thing is kids will buy into you if they see themselves getting better. But if all you do is work them, but you don't teach them, and they're not getting better, they lose faith in you. And see, our kids constantly got better. Why? Because we were sticklers for the details. Because we had one of the best strength and conditioning coaches in the country, Chris Dawson. We worked our kids year-round, but we didn't just, we didn't run them because we wanted them to pass out or something. No, we taught drill work. We worked on change of direction drills, eye drills, foot drills, bend the knee drills, all the things that you do on the football field. And the kids saw themselves getting better. And when they saw themselves getting better, they all made 
band together closely and believe in what the program is setting out to do. And uh, let's talk about recruiting. You brought up an interesting thing. You know, I never had a five-star player in eight years at Kansas. I don't think I recruited a four-star player either. There might have been one guy late that they jumped the buck for whatever reason, maybe. All of our players basically were two-star, three-star, no-star. So you say, well, how, how, how do you win games? Well, first of all, the assistant coaches and myself go by what we see with our eyes in the players' performance. There's all these recruiting gurus out there. Some of them are really good. But they don't get fired if I lose. I do. <laughs> so I don't need their advice. I don't look for their advice. I'm not swayed. We were never swayed by, you know, outside media, even high school coaches. We, we respected high school coaches. We treated them great. They were great to us. But every once in a while, they'd get really upset because we didn't take their kid. And I said, I'm paid to find the best available players. You know, I'm not a political entity. I don't work that way. I don't give scholarships to distinguished people's children in the state of Kansas just because they're distinguished, they have a distinguished family. And I always use the old story that I tell all the time. You know, some people would get upset with me. Parents would get upset with me that we didn't recruit their kid. And what I would tell them is, hey, listen, my son was the starting quarterback at Lawrence High. He came to me and he said, you know, Dad, I think I want to play in Kansas. I said, Tommy, you're not going to do that. I'm not going to offer you a scholarship. He said, okay, I'll walk on. I said, no, I'm not going to put you on the preferred walk-on list either. And he looked at me and he said, what? And he said, what are you talking about? I said, you go somewhere where you can play, have fun, enjoy it. You may develop into a guy who can play someday, but I think it's a long shot. I think your talents are more suited to Division II sports. He looked at me, he shrugged his shoulders. His mother got mad at me. <laughs> but I didn't want to look at him every day standing on the sideline. It's no fun standing on the sideline. It's fun playing. Go be your best at a Division II if you're not a Division I player, or Division Three, or NAI. I coached NAI ball for three years. They were the toughest, meanest, most dedicated kids you'd ever see. I loved it. But sometimes, high school coaches, parents, they're going to get mad at you, but it, it, you can't cave, and I never did. You know, there were other people. Uh, I always tell the story. The CEO of Federal Express, Fred Smith, who invented the company, the greatest movement of parcel in the world, called me personally about his son. His son was right at the borderline, but we had players that we wanted that were a little better, and I had to call him and tell him that. I could have said, hey, well, this is the CEO of FedEx, man. Let's get his kid in here. Maybe we can get some money off him. You know, with this, that, that's not how I operated. I did it. I did it in fairness to my my players that were on the team and to the university that hired me. They didn't hire a politician. They hired a football coach. 
It's, uh, this, this has been so great. And, and I hope coaches, I hope whoever listens to this, obviously they're going to learn a lot. And you did an unbelievable job. And like we said, it, the whole thing is, you know, rebuilding a program. And you started it from scratch. You were 2-10 and 10 your first year. And, uh, you know, after that 2007, 12-1, uh, Orange Bowl win over VTech, and, and you, did it the, you did it the right way. And, you know, I, we've been going a little over, you know, 30 minutes right now. I, I know you're busy. I know it's, I, think it's a, I believe it's the baseball all-star game tonight. I know you're a big baseball guy. I, I wanted to, uh, I want to thank you for, for spending your time with me tonight, um, doing this with me. We're getting there, Coach. We're getting there. I, I was just about to offer the next time when you're in Chicago, lessons on me, tennis lessons on me. We'll also get you, again, I said you were a big baseball guy. We're also going to try to get you in Wrigley. And, and now for the question that you just asked, who is your all-time favorite men and women's tennis player? I have to say my number one guy was Pete Sampras. Pete? Okay, okay. I'm an Andre guy, but I respect okay. Pete. <laughs> because, you know, Wimbledon, everything, you know, England, everything's proper. Yeah. And those guys said, we're bringing a little bit of this Yankees to you here. And, uh, you know, they, they, they kind of, I thought they were pioneers and, you know, you could at least, you know, voice a complaint once in a while. You know, it was a gentleman's game, as they call it in England. Right. Reflected a lot of the characteristics that you uh, that you had when you recruited your players, so I can see Amen. that. And I'm still going that you have a little Jimmy Connors fire in you. I know that. I know that. So, coach, <laughs> coach, I, uh, I really appreciate this. This was a lot of fun, and I know a lot of a lot of KU fans are going to like listening to this, and a lot of coaches who, who choose to listen to this, I, I know will uh, will learn a lot from what you had to offer. So, thanks again yeah, for sponsoring. Appreciate it, Coach. Have, like it. have a good evening, and we'll talk soon. Okay, buddy. Thanks. Bye. That was 
obviously a great podcast guest to have, Coach Mark Mangino. He's a great, great character, a great guy. He learned so much from him and did a tremendous job at the University of Kansas. Thank you guys for listening. Have a wonderful night. And um, again, every Thursday night on Facebook Live on the Bielenson Tennis page, I do a weekly courtside with Bielenson Tennis segment. Hopefully you guys tune in, check that out. Um, I'll upload those over to YouTube, uh, usually within 24, 48 hours of each episode. So hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. And have a good night. Thank you.